Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Foss at GatorCountry.com. We're going to talk about Florida's two and barbecue trip to the SEC tournament. Uh, Florida started with a win over Vanderbilt on Thursday afternoon in a game that, I mean, I don't know how to describe it other than, uh, you know, I, I, this, the final score seems fitting. Florida was just a little bit better than Vanderbilt. Uh, yeah, I mean, for those people who are into the uh, the betting side of things, they'll they'll know that that was uh, certainly not a, a cover by the by the Gators. I mean, it was a game that, quite frankly, uh, yeah, they didn't play super well and almost got burnt. I mean, man, when when Vanderbilt took the lead in the second, when they came back, uh, there there was more than a small part of me that thought Vanderbilt could win it. Uh, the way that they were scoring, the way that they seemingly. Um, I don't want to say they had the best score on the floor because Trey Mann is on an absolute heater, but he was the best score getting utilized in the best way um, who didn't seem to have someone on the other team who could, who could match up with him. So man, there was a point where uh, it was looking pretty dicey. So, I mean, yeah, Florida won, but yeah, it was, uh, it was not one they looked particularly good. in, I would say, yeah, I would agree with that. And we'll get to the second half in a minute because I thought the best 20 minutes that Florida played in Nashville was their first 20 minutes, uh, Eric. I thought that Florida was actually pretty darn good against an offense that had been, uh, you know, speaking of on a heater, an offense that had been quite quite excellent in the last month. And Vanderbilt, like even after Dylan DeSue left, Vanderbilt was still scoring pretty much at will on anyone. And a lot of that is Scottie Pippen and just what a marvelous player he is and all the different ways he can score and uh, the way he gets to the foul line. And then when you shoot about – 88% at the free throw line. If you get fouled at the rate he does, uh, you really fill it up pretty quick. But Florida holds Vanderbilt to 22 points in the first half, a very paltry uh, 0.67 points per possession, Eric. Uh, you know, that's a pretty pretty stout number. And they do it, interestingly, with Scotty Lewis not playing for the first 10 minutes uh, because he sat out. Uh, after being late to a walkthrough. And uh, Tyree Appleby also uh, on the bench. So Florida had some different rotations and lineups in, and and one beneficiary of that, I guess, was Niles Lane, who I thought did an excellent job on Scottie Pippen. Um, and then we didn't see him again in the second half. Yeah, I, I I've got to say, on my first thought when uh, when we were watching, you know, the game live, it was was uh, oh man, like uh, oh he did really well on 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 Scottie Pippen, and I've got to say when I watched it the second time, he was on Scottie Pippen less than like my memory served. I, I thought he was on him for a whole bunch of possessions. There was a couple, but he still was really good. And, and Trey Thomas, who I think is just a very very good player, uh, he was on. Lane was on him for for a bunch of possessions and, and played really really well. Had some really good closeouts that just completely slowed down everything that that Vanderbilt was doing. Uh, yeah, I thought Niles Lane was really good. I thought he was good defensively. And uh, man, there's also a couple times where uh, offensively he had he had one where he they they ran a play for him. He attacked off a ball screen. He got right to the hoop and just left the layup short. Uh, I felt bad for him because it would have been great for that to fall. And uh, maybe maybe we see him again if his you know one chance at the rim falls who, who knows um i actually think that it, i actually think it probably didn't matter uh we probably still wouldn't have seen him but 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 really who knows neil your your guess is as good as mine uh but yeah i mean i i just uh you know on a night where not every one of florida's perimeter players were playing super well on either side of the floor uh i thought he moved the ball well offensively i thought he moved the ball 
intelligently and uh, and defensively. I, I thought he looked really good. So uh, yeah, good good minutes for 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 Niles Lane in the first half, no question. And then Florida just generally defensively uh, quite a bit better in the first half than the second half. Uh, we're able to disrupt Vanderbilt. I thought they did. You know, I wasn't nuts. I think we texted each other about how they chased. They tried to deny Pippen the ball a few times with interesting pieces, and I was less nuts about that because I thought it, it led to some uh, uncomfortable switches uh, for the Gators. But, you know, still, they definitely made life much harder on Scottie Pippen in the first half than, than they did in the second half. Yeah, I think he uh, just kind of wore him down, really. Like, when, when you've got a player that – and, again, like, we can talk – offensive schemes and, and tactics but it's like man if you don't have a player who can keep his feet in front of the other team's best score it just doesn't really matter what you do it's it's it just becomes so difficult to play defense and uh, i think we just saw in, in the second half there was there was times where um again i think i i really do think i like i, I do not i can't fathom why vanderbilt is as bad as as they are like i i really think that jerry stackhouse is is really good is a really good coach i think they've got really good players but but really like a lot of the offense they run at vanderbilt is is really really good and and i think that there was some of that that got scotty pippen free and some of it loose but then yeah like just some of it was just like man it just the the moment he had tyree appleby on him it was just it was just game over and that was the primary check for for a lot of the second half um if you got noah lock on him ooh, tough matchup for for lock it just uh yeah just it just did not seem like uh well it, Florida clearly did not have the answer. And uh, I think, again, the fact that there was so many desperation fouls sending him to the line, if he wasn't uh, getting to the, getting to the rim and scoring on his uh, at will anyways, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was just definitely uh well-schemed offense and also just a, just a fantastic individual player who I think just wore down the Gators with just constant drives. Yeah. I mean, they had scored at, at one point, a clip, um, in all but one of their final seven games, that being uh, their 56-46 loss to Ole Miss. So they were they were doing pretty well offensively coming in the game for a team that finished the season 9-16. and 16. I don't think all of that is Pippen. I think some of it is the emergence of Trey Thomas a little bit. And, and uh, you know, the other – what is the other guy's name? that uh, Ah, D.J. Harvey. Um who I still think is trying to figure out exactly who he is as a basketball player, but can create some problems for you, particularly if you uh, have a bad switch, um, which is one of the reasons I was a little concerned about some of the ways that they were defending Pippen, um, opening the game up for him maybe. But but Florida then gives up almost twice as many points in the second half as they did in the first half. Uh, what do you think you know went wrong for Florida defensively in the second half? Uh, well, again, I, I, I think that uh, the teams have kind of figured out where Florida's help is coming from, the opposite baseline. And and you just see teams flattening out and not spacing to the corners as much. And it's pretty noticeable with a guy like Stackhouse who has the very much NBA spacing with uh, with players in both corners usually. That, that's usually how Vanderbilt would space the floor. And, and against Florida, they just ran a little bit more flat along the free throw line extended area. And, and that's, uh, that's how some teams have had success against Florida um, where Florida is not sure exactly where to help from. And that's what we saw with Missouri um, perhaps most famously on the last play of the game um, where mm -hmm. they won. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I think that the, the way that they spaced the floor was just kind of noticeably, noticeably different. And um, I thought that they had some, some success with that. And then, um, of course, with the uh, the way that Florida is uh, defending pick and rolls, I mean, Vanderbilt all season, I mean, we've seen them this 
this play out three times. I, um, I, th- I thought that, uh, um, I thought that they were able to take advantage of, of the way that Florida was, was guarding ball screens, whether it was getting reversals or, or uh, getting it to that big man at the middle of the floor. And uh, uh, that wasn't great. And uh, then just once again, there was, there was just times where uh, they, they just spaced it out for Scotty Pippen. And uh, I don't think Florida had an adequate defender one-on-one. Yeah, there you go. Um, Florida is not a particularly good isolation defense. If, if anyone is uh was curious about that, and um, if you're if you're curious about that in March, you probably started watching in February. But uh, this is not something that Florida does particularly well, and and Vanderbilt uh, can play a lot of different ways offensively. Obviously, with Jerry Stackhouse, and I think when they started to isolate things for Pippen or or other guards, uh, it didn't go quite as well for the Gators. Uh, of course, Vanderbilt also hit some more open shots uh, in the second half too. Uh, I thought. To some extent, they missed some some open looks um, in the first half, but I don't want to take too much away from Florida's defense. Offensively, uh, obviously, you know, it's the Trey Mann show that keeps Florida in the game. Uh, I get why Samson and Resense have started. Uh, I thought that he has showed – he showed his improvement defensively uh, in the first half to some extent. I mean, and, and again, there was really not much – of anywhere to go but up if you have listened to the podcast, but uh, certainly it has improved in that development, but he's one for 11 from beyond the arc since January 30th, Eric. I mean, at some point, um, you know, that he can shoot it in practice does not mean he should be shooting it in games. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it was tough, man, because he's a uh, he's a good shooter. His shots look great, and then a couple of them were were great looks, shots you'd love to see him take. And and yeah, they spilled out. So uh, that's tough. I mean, he definitely is a guy that when he's out there, uh, they feel like they can go to that three two kind of matchup a little bit more. They definitely like him up top with the length. I think that he did well on the glass. Obviously, when he plays at the three, he's florida's longest option at that that position so i think they like him there but uh but yeah it's just it's it's definitely tough when uh when those shots are just just not falling and uh, and vanderbilt was was pretty content pretty content to let him take it so um i've got to say actually i i do like the 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 fact that they started him just because again i think like whenever you if you lose a regular starter um which I guess in yeah, in in this case was uh, was Tyree Appleby um, sliding everything down. Um, the, the more like if you, if you take like the next guy off the bench and and you put him into uh, the starting role, then it's suddenly like everyone's out of position. Like the first guy off the bench is suddenly starting, then the second guy off the bench becomes the first guy off the bench, and suddenly everyone's out of position. So you see this in the NBA all the time. If you're missing a regular starter, they don't just take the sixth man or the seventh man and they put him in the starting lineup. They take like the tenth man because that leaves your bench in their like regular role. So I. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of a fan of that. And I know that, of course, I've been tweeting out lineup data uh, where some of these starting lineups that aren't Florida's regular starting lineups have, have done very, very poorly. And, and I think that there's maybe something to that. And and again, I just I actually didn't mind that they, they got him in there. But uh, I, I probably was a little bit surprised how, how long he stayed in, um, especially when uh, <laughs> yeah maybe uh, maybe Niles Lane could have uh, could have taken some of those minutes uh, for sure. Yeah, so two quick questions about that. Like you said, you like the idea of Rosensev at the top of that 3-2. I mean, what what do you think the value of maybe Niles Lane there at 6-5? And it's a it's pr- at least having been to games now, it seems to be a pretty legitimate 6-5. Uh, you know, can can he play in that spot? 
Well, yeah, and I mean, it's also like they've used Scotty Lewis in that spot more last year than than this year, but uh, it's, it's similar length. I mean, I, I will also say, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of the three two matchup, anyways. Um, <laughs> so, so I'd be pretty content to um, to not have out your best lineup if the the or or have the best lineup for that defense if the goal is playing that defense. And you know the you know what I was. Uh, it, it, Messaging someone uh, close to Niles, we'll say, uh, and and you know, I did mention it uh, during the game where it's like, you know what, like this is like this is the third time we've we've seen the Gators play Vanderbilt. They've played 120 minutes, and th- Scotty Pippen has been really loud for 116 minutes of that, and quiet for four minutes of that. The the four minutes when he wasn't lighting the Gators on fire was when Niles Lane was on the floor. And again, it's just in college basketball, you don't often have the the chance to see a team three times. You don't often have the chance to get like 120 minutes of sample size. And you, we, we do. And like seriously, for 116 minutes of that, Scottie Pippen was just dominating the Gators. And there was one stretch when he wasn't. It was when Niles Lane was on the floor. And again, like I said, when I when I watched... When I watched it on, uh, when I watched the game a second time, I, I will say that he he was on Scotty Pippen a little bit less than than what I you know first thought, uh, but he still mm-hmm. was on him a little bit, and he was still a threat to uh, when, when they were switching. It took away a possible switch where he could switch onto a Tyree Appleby and Noah Lock and go to work. Um, he was there in the gaps helping out with because he has length and can dig down. Um, he was still contributing. So again, I, I would have to say, I, I do think there is something there to, to Niles Lane on the defensive end um, and improving the Gators defensively. And again, for a team that is struggling to get stops and struggling to handle um, these guards of quality, uh, it's just, man, it's just, uh, you'd love to see something different again in, in, in matchup three when, when Scotty Pippen's already dominated you for, for two of those. Yeah. So another guy that had played really well against Vanderbilt was, uh, it, at least in the previous games, had been Colin Castleton. Uh, you know, and it wasn't necessarily loud, but with six points and and eight rebounds and and some quality rim protection, I thought that you know he showed signs of life uh, in the first game. We can get to the second game in a moment. Um, you know, your thoughts there, and should I guess the secondary question when talking about Colin Castleton is. They've clearly, at least in, in Nashville, did do what we thought they should do and told Trey Mann to go ahead and shoot more and, and attack more with volume. You know, is there a concern that there's a trade-off with that, though, in terms of now Florida's running these continuities and isolations where they're not necessarily as good at that style of offense as they are at some of the other stuff that they uh, at least have done in the past? We haven't seen much of anything other than high ball screen pick and rolls in the last month. But we know they have these sets that they can run uh, to get the ball into the post. Uh, We will have a podcast this week. I'm sure where we talk about why that's important. Um, You know, maybe your thoughts on Colin Castleton. And then my second question, if you followed all of that ranting. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Colin Castleton was put in some tough spots because again, there's, there's times where you dump it into him in the post and then, they don't move and then Vanderbilt has guys stunting from every, every angle and Colin Castle yeah. has a couple of turnovers and then he gets called to the bench and gets yelled at for not recognizing. It. And it's like, man, if you throw the ball into the middle of the floor to a big man with his back to the basket and you don't start moving immediately, you don't start running stuff. It's just, you, you could not, you could not make it easier on a defense to go and double and go get a steal. So again, he has a couple turnovers against Vanderbilt where like, again, like I put his fault at like 
less than half. Like again, like okay, sure, maybe you, you've got to be you've got to be quicker. Maybe you feel a defender before you start to bounce the ball and and put it on the floor and and give an opportunity to the defenders. But again, you watch those turnovers and like like again, I guess I'm not exactly sure what Florida drew up or what they're looking to do. But man, when I see them throw it into the post, not move whatsoever big man holds the ball for three seconds, then starts dribbling and two guys from either 45 can come and dig down and steal the ball. And he gets the ball slapped away from him. I'm like, I don't really see that. Like, that's not really like, if that's the play you ran, that's not Colin Castleton's fault. Like on it, like that's truly how I feel. So I, I think that the coaching staff would feel different about that because that happened. And then he got subbed out and it got it explained to him. So Maybe he did something wrong there, but I don't know. It's just, again, this has been a regular occurrence. But, you know, I look against Vanderbilt. I think he was three for six or three for five. Like, it wasn't like he was missing layups or, or taking bad shots. It was, uh, I just kind of thought he was kind of limited because, um, again, Florida is just, you know, running running ball screen after ball screen. They're not a team that actually hits the roll man very often. So he's not actually super involved in the pick and roll game besides, you know, setting the pick. Um so yeah, I guess the the utilization for him just maybe wasn't um, wasn't great. But yeah, I, I see a quiet styleline from him, and I, I don't think he played particularly bad. I just don't think he was really put in uh, in positions to uh, to really dominate. I guess. Yeah, and I I didn't think it was that quiet either. Like he had the two blocks, uh, he mm-hmm. had two steals, one of which really could have been scored a block because he kind of went up and took the ball away from somebody going up and. It was like the the old Joe Kim Noah, I just take the ball from you block um, <laughs> that they gave as a steal. Uh, Noah was a, a master. If you watched him in the NBA, he was a master at like the like tap rejection where like he could find a teammate off the block. It's such an artful skill. It's just a, a delight to watch him play defense. And we haven't said anything about his retirement on the pod. So mm. just kind of wanted to get that out because there was a play Castleton made in the Vanderbilt game that was to that point. But on the play you're talking about, the other thing is like Florida's had success on this sort of inverted uh, pick and roll before. And I think when Colin gets the ball up there and that's an option and then they drop coverage on that roll and it's taken away, like you're asking him to immediately recognize that the read isn't there and then find another option that's not moving. Like I thought it was such a weird flex by uh, Jimmy Dykes to to blame Colin Castleton for that on the broadcast because uh, I think the first thing he's supposed to do on that receive is see if the roll man is there, which he wasn't because Vanderbilt had denied it. And then anybody moving off the ball would have been good, but nobody was. So he puts the ball on the floor that far from the basket and has it taken away from him. Um, you know, I just think like, like you said, Eric, it just seems like he was put in a tough spot, but I thought he played pretty well. Six points, eight rebounds, two blocks, two steals and assist. I mean, you know, I'm not sure what more you want from your all conference center when you're not running the types of sets that you're capable of running to get him the ball in a, in a more favorable position. And the thing with big man, it just in 2021, so much of it is going to be like dump off passes uh, on drives from guards and uh, and have them be able to finish those or take one dribble and finish. And uh, there wasn't too much of that going on from from Florida. So uh, yeah, I've I've got to say no uh, no no real problems with with Con Castlin. I mean, these are the types of teams that he's normally had success against um, smaller centers that he can finish over. Um, yeah, just didn't think he had those opportunities. But hey, it's not like he. I, I'd be concerned if he was you know, three for 10, but he was three for five. So that's fine. As for the Trey man uh, volume, like your thoughts, obviously we both think it's good that, that he's 
being aggressive and, and taking more shots. Like, and he didn't compromise too much efficiency against Vanderbilt. Yeah, no, I mean, I still, again, would have cranked up the usage. Like I see Trey Mann who shoots seven for 12 and that like, it just, I, I just wish his, his usage was, was even higher. Like if he's shooting that well and, 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 and again, in, in that scenario, getting to the hoop, it will, it wasn't like he was just shooting all these, you know, three point shots to go cold. It's like, if you're getting all those buckets at the rim, like keep letting him go to the rim, like give him the Scotty Pippen treatment. Like you can tell so quickly if, if they have a defender who can guard them or, or not. And um, yeah, I, I, uh, just super impressed with his game and, and his efficiency through this uh, this streak he's on. Um, and I, I I really, you know, mentioned in the past that I think that Florida should really consider giving him the ball for like 20 shots plus. And uh, I do think in these last two games, um, I, I, feel it's, I feel it's stronger than ever. By the way, one beneficiary of that, um, I think, although, you know, I think Gator Twitter has gotten frustrated to the point where like, most of their tweets were about hitting the backboard with a three, but one beneficiary of that was Noah Locke, who was used far less as the primary ball handler in the pick and roll against Vanderbilt than we have seen earlier in the season and answers with his first game over 11 points in a month, uh, picking up uh, 13 against the Commodores. Yeah. Saw the, saw, saw some of those quarter, uh, quarter threes, um, saw him able to, uh, uh to get into, uh, and finish inside. That was great. Uh, again, it's just, I, I just, uh, just like we're talking about Colin Castleton and it's, it's so much of a usage thing that that's kind of no a lock. Like, and, and again, there's even those games where I feel like he wasn't shooting the ball well from three. And I look at the, the plays earlier in the game where he was putting a ball screen where he was, you know, kind of destined to fail. And uh, Matt, I just like feel like turning the ball over doesn't feel good for any player, much less Noah Locke, who's his whole career barely turned the ball over until this season where he started to be used as a ball handler. Um, I'm, you know, I see him turn the ball over and that's got to not feel great. No wonder he starts missing threes. Like I, I just, uh, I, I feel like that matters a bit. So definitely saw a usage from, from Noah Locke. That's, that's uh, a little bit better. He had eight three point attempts. Um, I wouldn't, hate at all if that was his regular eight, right. eight plus every game for a guy that's um that hits uh hits threes with uh, uh the percentage he has for three years now um yeah whenever he can get eight or more threes that's uh, that's that's money yeah i mean i had the chance to uh talk to dowan cuff a little bit uh I, I espn color guy that i think both of us think is is pretty darn good actually uh doesn't get very many big games because he's a youngster starting out but uh he, he, one of his comments that was fascinating was no one misses Andrew Nimhard in the country more than Noah Locke. Um, and I thought, I thought, man, that is such a good point. That's a great point because again, Noah Locke wants to shoot, wants to shoot those corner threes. And when it was Nemhard, it was so much of that skip pass. Like Andrew Nemhard's ability to throw that skip pass off a live dribble with one hand is just like, like that's NBA stuff that you just don't see at the college level very much from, um, from guards there. It's just such a difficult pass. And, um, that's what he kind of feasts on. So again, I think that that's why we've seen Locke get those threes in transition when the ball can get pushed up to him, but we just don't see off the, off the ball screen, him getting those, you know, again, like I think Trey man, I think Trey man's a good passer. I don't think he's a great passer. Um, yeah. So to make a live dribble skip pass on the money to a shooter, fun hand, um, not, you know, not something he's super comfortable with. I think Tyree Appleby can really create a lot of opportunities. Um, but again, there's like, it's kind of like the, the quarterback who needs to just practice throwing those fade routes over and over again. It's like, can you make the passes or not? And again, there's just so few players in, um, 
in college basketball that can that can make those kind of skip pass to the corner. And Nemhart was as good as anyone, arguably the best. So that's a, yeah, that's a great point. I uh, I would definitely agree. Yeah, we'll get into some other thoughts of uh, Dallin uh, on our next show or a season-ending show to tease a little something for for the pod. I know Eric and I have had a, a bunch of fascinating conversations uh, in the last few days, and and we will uh, we'll, we'll hold on to some of that stuff. But that was one that kind of came up talking about this Vanderbilt game. But Florida escapes uh, largely due to Trey Mann's ability to, to make crucial buckets, including uh, – you know, the basket he made to extend the lead to three with a minute and a half to go. Yeah, huge. And again, that's something we just talked about so much about like the value of uh, shot making and how Florida's needed that guy. Uh, man, la- these last couple of seasons, I don't know if they have someone to make that shot, quite frankly. So uh, just definitely, uh, definitely great for him to hit that. But once again, it showed just like how much this game was in balance um, that, that it came down to that, uh, uh, that kind of scenario. But man, luckily, uh, luckily man was there. Yeah, I was thinking that speaking of Andrew Nimhard, like Florida probably isolates the floor and lets Nimhard back a guy down <laughs> and take his little jumper. Like that might have been their play uh, a year ago, but this year they have Trey Mann and his ability to just beat people off the dribble and create his own shot. Uh, unfortunately, with Keontae Johnson out, um, you know, there's not a lot much more in that. And, you know, look – Somebody direct messaged me, and I uh, I should have wrote down who it was here in my show notes, Eric. Um, but all I did was write down the note, and we'll we'll transition to the Tennessee game with this listener question, which was, "Do you think all these isolations hurt the rest of the offense?" And I'll take a stab at it first and say that I do not think that the continuities for Trey Man hurt the rest of the offense. I think what hurts is that there's not enough diversity in the stuff that Florida is trying to run. I think it's too much either we're going to run a high ball screen, we're going to high ball screen, we're going to rescreen, that's it, or we're going to isolate run continuity plays for Trey Mann. Um, like, I don't think Florida is, is running diverse enough stuff. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if we were to say what is my overarching problem or criticism or what's on my mind regarding Florida's end of the season here, uh, it's just, yeah, it's the, the fact that they are so, 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 so one-dimensional. And it's uh, the the fact that Florida has just started to run so much high ball screen, and uh, teams have largely figured it out. They know how they want to play Florida, and I've obviously been tweeting out the numbers, and uh, much to the shock and awe of, of people who have seen them. That they, yeah, like the pick and roll that was so successful for Florida early in the season. The more that they run it, um, the the more teams have figured it out, and and the more that they, uh, yeah, the more that. Um, uh, the, 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 the lower the efficiency has been. And again, I, I just was, uh, I was looking at one of the best basketball games I watched this, this season, the, the SEC championship game and, and two mm. guys that, so, so LSU runs more isolations than anyone in the country. And again, I think that some people would look at that as, um, and Alabama's like up there. I forget where Alabama ranks, but two teams that love to isolate. And again, I feel like for so many people, that's like, give the ball to your best player and, space out to the corners and let it rip. But like that could not be further from the truth. Like the level of coaching that was going on was like sublime and the way that they ghosted screens and created gaps and, and, and they were, they were isolations, but they were, um, 
uh, kind of their their like dribble drive gap creation was just incredible, and it it was just like these coaches trading back and forth, just like beautiful plays. And again, I think that people think about isolation. They think about just like rolling the ball out to your best player. That can work sometimes, um, but uh, there's so much more to that. And and again, I just w- when you were talking about the lack of diversity. Um, it was definitely on my mind watching that SEC championship game where, where two teams just did did that so well and changed so much looks where, yeah, it was isolation for Cam Thomas at the end or Trenton Watford at the end or John Petty at the end or Herb Jones at the end. But it was like so many diverse actions that led to a gap to be created for them to drive it. It was uh, it was masterful. So uh, I mean, you know, I know a lot of us were watching that game and it was it was awesome. But, yeah, it was a reminder that, uh, yeah, there's just there's not a lot of diversity to what Florida's doing right now. So I think the, this is a great way to transition into the Tennessee game in the quarterfinal. Uh, Florida loses to Tennessee for the second time in five days. I mean, the Volunteers, not a tremendous, you know, pick and roll defense really, but I certainly had Florida's number dialed up. <laughs> yeah, when uh, when Eves Pons was, uh, was just either blocking everything or getting his hand on an arm and not getting called, um, that certainly made it <laughs> for Florida to score. And um, again, something that I thought was interesting was, you know, Florida kept going to this, uh, kept going to their, their kind of like, you hear most coaches call this zoom, the dribble handoff into a ball screen. Uh, mm-hmm. And they kept, they kept running it. And it just, again, with, with that action, the way that they spaced the floor, it was very, very congested in the paint. And it was Trey man just drive kind of driving into a wall. And, and again, I think that's why Trey man had such a quiet first half. Cause he was just, and I tweeted out some of the clips cause he was just driving into so much help. And, and again, when that's like, he has, you know, Keon Johnson, and then it's like driving into the paint where Eve Pons is waiting, who's ha- about to have the greatest shot blocking game in Tennessee history. It's just, uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. So, so I did think it was just congested basketball and, and Florida running the same play over and over again. And uh, just wasn't, uh, wasn't much there for Florida's offense uh, out of that pick and roll. Yeah, you know what's funny is that Tennessee has has played against, according to Hooplins, uh, seventy four handoff possessions uh, <laughs> the entire season, and I'm I'd really love to know what exactly what the exact number was uh, <laughs> with Florida because I feel like it would be very high. By the way, uh, that's the action that Tennessee defends the best uh, of all of all actions um, according to Hooplins. So. You know, just really excellent stuff to run uh, that over and over again into the teeth of a defense that's very good at, at defending it. Uh, I do think that, obviously, um, you know, it was one where, uh, you know, I thought the officiating seemed a little unbalanced, uh, you know, and I don't normally like to get into some of that, but there was one situation late in the game that I thought really personified it uh, where Tyree Appleby was just so clearly – hammered by Eve Pons and I think finally just showed his frustration towards the referee and a technical foul was called on Appleby. Uh, it was kind of the classic ball don't lie moment too because Santiago Vescovi then proceeded to miss both technical free throws. Uh, but, you know, like you said, Eric, Pons certainly getting away with a lot of extra contact in this game. Yeah, and I mean, I, I do think Pons, like I, I probably think that Pons at his best is like, the best like he was not my vote for you know sec defensive player of the year but like when he's on and i think a lot of it was still i just have like flashbacks to like where i swear he must have been like injured against the gators in the first game when like noah (laughs) 
burning him off the dribble. Um, but that was still, you know, that had flashbacks in mind. But when he's on, I mean, Epons is, is I think, the most devastating defender in, in the country. And again, it's because he can be such a good on-ball on defender or he can just come and swat anything from the weak side. And um, I do think as a player who's been around a long time, he's kind of got, I don't want to say he gets dark treatment, but again, I do think as someone who's been arguably the best athlete in the country for like four straight years, uh, I do think he maybe gets a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. And again, these refs that might stand six feet tall or under uh, when East Pons is jumping to, 11 foot nine to block a shot and and catches some of the wrist i mean it's those, those are tough plays to officiate that high in the air and um for these refs that are on the ground uh so again a mix of like when you're just dealing with a athlete of that ridiculousness um that can be tough to to officiate when you're dealing with someone who's a veteran player who has a reputation as an elite defender um they probably get a little bit of benefit of the doubt but Still, I thought some of some of some of those, you know, quote unquote blocks were were pretty egregious. I <laughs> and um, for for Tyree Appleby to get that technical, uh, yeah, that was a uh, that was rough. Definitely some uh, some tough officiated moments. And you know what, Neil, I do think we need to talk about, of course, the one big you know foul moment. Um, you know, Omar Payne's elbow. And, and again, I, I'm not trying to defend it. Um, I, I suppose, like I I don't ever want to see a player taking that kind of contact to the face from an elbow. But uh, you know what? Like every time that, uh, that Florida, you know, missed a shot and they're running back on defense um, going back to the the first game, you know, John Fulkerson is water skiing off guys and grabbing their jerseys and hanging off them while they're trying to get back on defense. Um, you know, maybe not surprising that a guy's trying to trying to shake, a, shake a hand off a Jersey when he knows that that, that foul is not going to be called for, for holding onto the collar of his Jersey. So, um, you know, maybe if the ref calls that, it doesn't get to the situation where Omar Payne is throwing violent elbows to try to get a guy's arm off him that he's feeling. Um, yeah, so there was there was definitely some <laughs> definitely a lot to talk about on the officiating side in that one. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons I don't expect Omar Payne, uh, at least we're recording this show on Monday night, and I don't expect Omar Payne to be suspended at all for the NCAA tournament. And there was a Gators basketball uh, practice clip today where. I'm not going to say that they purposefully edited it to show Omar Payne finishing at the <laughs> rim, but I'm not going to say that they didn't do that. Uh, but look, I mean, uh, I thought if you look at this play on video that at a minimum, the first elbow, there's a Jersey grab and then there's an elbow and then there's what's pretty clearly a hook and hold in years when they're putting emphasis on the hook and hold on Fulkerson, which results in the second vicious elbow. Um, I thought the first elbow was what Eric was a product of that frustration of that constant Jersey tugging and that kind of thing. And then I think, you know, I guess you could argue that Fulkerson was using pain to keep himself up after the first elbow, I suppose. Um, but I don't think you need to grab at the neck and grab the Jersey uh, to keep someone up. So I think that there was certainly a little bit of stuff that Fulkerson did where in a game that's being officiated a little differently, uh, maybe you get, you know, a flagrant two on uh, Payne and a flagrant one on Fulkerson, right? Like, I, I don't know. I really thought it could have been that situation. And I've watched this on video several times because, you know, that was a tweet that I sent pretty quickly after the play happened was this is what happens when you're not controlling the way that the game's being played underneath, like these types of things can escalate and a kid can make a mistake like Omar did. 
Yeah, and and again, I was definitely not someone who thought that uh, that he should have been suspended. Um, I certainly, you know, I know there's some still some people asking about it. I certainly, if there was a suspension, I hope that it wouldn't be this many days later. Um, but but again, I I I think to for there to be for there to be a suspension, I think it's got to be like very needlessly dirty, like you undercut someone on a breakaway layup or something like that, or. Um, or, you know, you, you, you swing with intent. And again, I, I just really don't think that he was throwing an elbow behind his head, um, somehow knowing that, that Fulkerson's face would be so close to him because he had tripped and, uh, was, was so close to him where that elbow was going to land. So I, I, I just, I, I wouldn't, I'm not on the side of, of suspending him. I don't think that would be, that would be warranted. Um, I definitely feel, feel sick though, because man, I, I don't like seeing someone getting concussed. That's that's terrible for him. I feel terrible for for Payne, who had to be like had to realize that that was a consequence of, of what happened. That sucks. I know we had to see a whole bunch of people tweeting awful stuff at him. That sucks. Um, yeah, just a really an unfortunate situation all around. Yeah, and definitely shout out to John Fulkerson for how he handled it on social media. Um, I thought him tweeting to let the volunteers fans in particular know that Omar had reached out to him and that they had, you know, worked it out. Um, I hope John Fulkerson plays in the NCAA tournament. You know, he's a, he's a player everybody loves to hate. And I always have a soft spot for those players. Uh, We've had him in the Florida program uh, over the years from, from Cho Kim Noah to Matty Walsh uh, to, to, you know, will you get to some extent, um, so I think uh, certainly Scotty Wilbekin would qualify. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, but but you want to see him play, uh, especially if these are his last games as a volunteer. Of course, they don't have to be. Um, but, you know, I hope he's <laughs> he play. He's, he certainly made it look like it was his last game at uh, – I, I don't know if it was senior night or whatever, the last the last game in uh, in Knoxville when he yeah, came off the floor. Definitely made it look like it was going to be his last game. Yeah, definitely seemed like he's not a guy that's going to take advantage of the extra year of eligibility that he has. Uh, but um, anyway, good points by you. What did you think about the impact of that on the basketball game? Because it did seem like Florida was at least threatening to get back into the game at that point, and then the wheels came off. Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was interesting because – I. Again, so Florida just for that first half just really struggles to, to to score whatsoever. And and again, I don't think that it was like necessarily like anything that John Fulkerson had to, had to do with it. But it definitely kind of uh, definitely kind of changed. And again, with uh, with I think the the energy boost that that the Volunteers kind of got, they definitely seem to be um, playing a little bit angry. And I think that again, for like Eve Ponds, who got, you know, right up into Omar Payne's face, he was someone who was having a big game and was seemed to be pretty, pretty energized by, by that and just went on to, to continue to be a force. Um, yeah, there was, there was, there was definitely that moment where, where Florida, you know, did, did threaten there. But, uh, uh, but again, I just thought much has been the case. I mean, Florida's offense has just been, been so one dimensional. And then of course, Trey Mann starts to, starts to go off. But other than that, the, the Gators just had, had no offensive punch from anyone. And, um, and Noah Locke only gets free for four three pointers. Um, again, I, I, I do not like seeing two for four Omar or, uh, sorry, uh, Noah Locke nights from three. Um, if he's shooting 50%, I want that number to be 
you know, eight, nine, 10 threes. I don't want that to be two for four, but um, again, just a, just a game where, where I think that Florida lacked that ability to, to put that kind of pressure on the rim. Um, They're just kind of driving it into, uh, into a lot of help and then uh, just weren't able to, weren't able to collapse the defense or anything like that. And uh, it just became very difficult for them to score. Yeah, it did. And, you know, to, to the point that we talked about a little earlier with, with Noah Locke missing Andrew Nimhard, like you would think that the staff uh, and that Noah Locke would be put in better positions with Trey Mann commanding so much help now. Um, it's really, I don't like the word inexcusable in sports, but it is mystifying to me that Noah Locke would only have four three-point attempts with Florida playing from behind and and uh, Trey Mann commanding quite a bit of help defense, Eric. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and again, to see, uh, once again, to just see like, like Florida ran some stuff earlier for, for Noah Locke to get free for three point looks. And, and we just haven't seen that in, in, in recent games. Um, they did get him off, off one against, uh, for against Vanderbilt, which is great, but, uh, he didn't take a single attempt, um, off, uh, off a screen against, against Tennessee. I thought that would have been a pretty good opportunity because, um, again, when you've just got when you've got nothing going, I think you just got to look at like, okay, Noah Locke might be one dimensional, but the one dimension he brings is lethal when it's when he's on, and and you've just got to do whatever you can to to get that get to get that free. So, again, I just that 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 lack of that lack of adaptability by by Florida just it just kind of it, it's concerning at this point because again when you can see so quickly when when something is is just not going to work and they're not going to be able to get what they're maybe hoping for out of the out of the pick and roll or they're maybe not getting what they're hoping for out of out of Colin Castleton when they when they dump it inside to him it's like there just hasn't been those kind of adjustments to get to get a guy like like Noah Locke free so uh yeah and then ultimately yeah you you have a game that uh, the Gators really fizzle out in the end and 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 lose yeah, and look, I mean, Florida's Tennessee. I mean, we've talked a lot about how we both like the flex offense that uh, Tennessee runs at least most of their stuff out of. Um, they've been a little more ISO heavy this year with with the two uh, future draft picks, I think, um, and kind of easing freshmen into what's actually kind of a complicated scheme, Eric. But still, Florida. Again, second consecutive game. Florida defended well in the first half of this game. Tennessee had two two scoring droughts of five minutes where they didn't score a basket, and Florida goes into the, the locker room down nine points. Like that is astonishing uh, to and, and speaks to the ineptitude of Florida offensively in this game. And I think some of that starts with, uh, you know, like you said, you're not running stuff to get Noah Locke free, and then you're not getting help from secondary pieces. Scotty Lewis had one point at the SEC tournament in two games. Oh wow! Uh, it, it's uh, I, I knew he was quiet. I just it slipped my mind that that was uh, uh, that was the case. And uh, once again, I think we also saw um, against Tennessee just. Uh, like again, you're looking at Jaden Springer and you're looking at Keon Johnson and you're looking at Josiah Jordan James and it's like, you know, Scotty Lewis was the guy that you would hope would match up with those guys defensively and he's just he's he's just not up to that challenge. Uh, and to just also see just whether it's speed, whether it's you know physicality or uh, whether it's chasing off screens, it just uh, just wasn't quite there. So so again, the, the and and I think again to see that. Uh, to see that Lewis is not maybe looking to to score off cuts, to see him looking to get to those pull up mid range jump shots, and 
um, and trying to spot up a little bit. It's just, uh, yeah, there's a, there's just a guy. I mean, I think anytime you see someone who plays significant minutes and has, you know, one point in a couple of games, you, you just got to question um, if the, if the team knows what his role is and if the player knows what his role is. And yeah, I think that uh, there's definitely something lost there. By the way, um, I don't know if this was ever intended to be the theme of the podcast, but Florida's 7-0 run in the first half to get it from 28-12 down to 28-19, where the Vols failed to score for five minutes. Those were the five minutes that Niles Lane was on the floor. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a good point. And, hey, uh, more minutes than I expected him to play <laughs> in those two games, which is which is great. Uh, but, uh, and again, well, and again, it's funny. I mean, we obviously, with, with Niles Lane, I think we're both people who are fans of his defense first and, and maybe second, but I do think he also off, offers some of that secondary playmaking that, that you might miss with a, with a Scotty Lewis and, and, and a Noah Locke. I think that I would put Lane as a better ball handler than, than both of those guys. And while I think Scotty Lewis, like might be a better passer, Scotty Lewis's lack of a handle really limits his ability to get into passing scenarios. So for that reason, like Lane might be a better passer right now. Um, so even yeah, a game where you just get so stuck, offensively i i i wonder what what lane could have done there but um <laughs> yeah it's a good uh yeah it's a good point to coincide that once again good good minutes for niles lane and uh <laughs> uh yeah you just wonder maybe does that stuff get noticed do they look at those individual defensive numbers or some of the lineup numbers and um yeah you wonder what uh what he might play it if he if he does like i guess in uh in the ncaa tournament but i uh that yeah that'll be next podcast conversation I also think when you, you know, when you put somebody like Lane on the floor who can do some of the things that Scotty Lewis doesn't necessarily do that well, like stop the man in front of him uh, particularly well and stay on two feet, you allow Lewis to kind of, you free him up to use his athleticism elsewhere on the floor. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, uh, you, you know, that if you can, like maybe Scotty Lewis's best drill isn't necessarily defensive stopper. It's a guy who can be real active, uh, who can help you body down on the glass, who can help start your transition offense if he can rebound, uh, who can get into passing lanes. And we saw the play he made on Santiago Fascovi that led to a dunk where he just gets out and gets his hands up and real active. Um, you know, I mean, Lewis had a block and a couple rebounds and an assist in those five minutes, by the way, uh, which I'm not saying that a five-minute sample size proves my point, Eric, but – I do wonder like how much better Scotty Lewis can be if he doesn't have to be like the guy that is the defensive stopper for Florida. Yeah, well, I mean his ability to like shoot gaps and and get deflections or block shots, that's something he's done well and and like you said kind of compete on the glass. Those are not those are those are his best defensive skills, but those are not skills that are going to be utilized when he's guarding the ball. Um it's and and again I think we've just seen that he's yeah, he's just not someone who's fantastic at containing the dribble individually so uh of, of course like if if we were to play them together the gators were um that's having presumably like trey man or tyree appleby and then um niles lane and, and scotty lewis at the two three um that is not a lineup that the gators have used much this uh this season um not at all but uh Hey, they've uh, they've definitely been willing to throw out whatever <laughs> right about now. So uh, hey, maybe uh, maybe we dare to d dare to dream to see it in the uh, um, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, just give me some man, Lewis Lane, Castleton, and <laughs> who cares? Who cares? And we're good.
Um, you know, like, I don't know. Trey Mann might feel like pretty alone out there, but I, Niles can at least dribble, uh, which which at times has been a problem for anyone on this team outside of Tyree Appleby and Trey Mann. Hey, what did you think of Tyree Appleby's game? I, I was thinking too when you said uh, talking about players that uh, that you love to hate. Um, I was mm. thinking about Tyree Appleby's trending towards that guy. I mean, he's someone who talks smack and uh, gets into. And I love it when like Tyree Appleby at like maybe six one um, is like getting up into the face of someone a lot bigger than him. He had that moment. I think it was maybe Keon Johnson. I forget who he got. Uh, who he looked like he was you know looking to trip and uh, or sorry. Um, allegedly was looking to trip depending on uh, if you were uh, your interpretation <laughs> of um, there was no foul called no review even I don't think um, but yeah I mean Tyree Appleby has a little bit of that uh, that attitude to him and I think there's going to be some fan bases in the SEC that are go- going to uh, grow to maybe uh, love to hate him but uh, what did you think of his game where he had uh, had some some good moments and some bad yeah I mean I like the Appleby we saw against Vanderbilt a little better I'll be honest you know, I don't want him taking two times as many three-pointers as Noah Locke. Um, although I get how Tennessee forces that to some extent. Um, you know, but I don't I don't think he's a 13-shot-a-game guy necessarily with Trey Mann on the floor. Um, so I think that when Tyree lets offense comes, come to him and, and doesn't force things, uh, like I do think he has playmaking ability, Eric. What what do you think about that? Because I, I think I think that the difference with Tyree is like sometimes he definitely seems like, you know, he makes up his mind like I'm gonna drive into the paint and then he gets stuck. Uh, yeah. And- well, I just I, I think that Tyree Appleby is the biggest um he's the he's the one that is affected most by the fact that all these teams have figured out to play drop coverage on florida's pick and rolls um because with trey man he if, if a team plays drop coverage he's got that floater which neil i've got to tell you he's up to uh, trey man's up to like 0.91 points per possession on floaters this year it's starting to be a, <laughs> it's starting to be a good shot for trey man as much as so much as I've been fighting it, the, the floater for Trey Mann, he's got some otherworldly touch, and uh, it's starting to be yeah. a good spot for him. I, I I might have to admit. I mean, he gets all the way to the hoop, and he's 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 closer to a point per, per possession, so that would still be their response to his his uh, his floater efficiency. But at zero point, you know, nine one nine two points per possession for Trey Mann, that's the floater's not a bad shot. But anyways, I mean, so these teams that play drop coverage. If Trey Mann's the ball handler, he gets into the middle of the floor, and it's it's kind of a mid range or, or floater type of game. Um, he can have some success there, or he is big enough and long enough that he can go and take contact and finish, which we saw these last couple of games. But with Tyree Appleby, he's coming off these screen and rolls, not looking to be a scorer. I, like he he wants to pass the basketball, and the whole thing about these teams that play drop coverage is they're not letting you pass the basketball. They're they're challenging the ball handler to go make a play in the mid range. So, so I see Tyree Appleby and, and his game. And, and I think he is the most effect- like, I mean, or you could say, you know, Noah Locke or Scotty Lewis, just because they're getting, uh, you know, they're also getting goaded into taking bad shots by those. But in, in terms of, you know, heavy usage and a guy who is very capable in the pick and roll, depending on the coverage in Tyree Appleby, I just, I just see the, I, I I just see him as the most affected by the fact that the teams have figured out how to play drop coverage against, against Florida. So, yeah, maybe he's not the guy you want to uh, you want to see initiating all these pick and rolls. And um, again, I do think he's he's a pretty good pick and roll ball handler, but uh, he's not as good as Trey Mann. And when they're on the floor together, um, and you know teams aren't going to let him reverse the ball to Trey Mann out of the pick and roll when when they're playing drop coverage. Uh, yeah, you got to reevaluate what you're doing offensively. 
Yeah, I just think that's such a fantastic point that you make. And and I think, uh, you know, it, maybe it is it is an argument for Florida to try some to, to, to diversify things um, and, and to get defenses. If you show defenses different looks, you can force them to react. You know, you, maybe they don't have maybe they're not going to necessarily do the same things over and over. You know, I where are the these Princeton sets that that Florida has has shown the ability to run at times like uh where are some of these backdoor cuts that that florida uh ran very successfully uh with chris chioza at point guard and like i understand that there's not a passer of chioza's quality on the team but tyree appleby has shown a good rapport on some of those backdoor type passes when florida has run some of that stuff like you know where is this stuff and and uh, obviously florida kind of running out of time to to implement it We'll go back to <laughs> again. We'll we'll get into it uh, in our preview podcast um, that we keep teasing that we will do another podcast this week, to, uh, yeah. setting up the Virginia Tech game in great detail. So please join us for that. Uh, but again, I just think like you know what, like the the fact of the matter right now is that you look like Florida's lost three of their last four. Their one win was against Vanderbilt, where they did not look great you backtrack a little bit, you know, they were beat Kentucky, but didn't look great. Beat Georgia. Didn't look great. Arkansas and South Carolina both figured them out. I mean, like for the past few weeks, there's been multiple, multiple teams that have all shown that they can figure out Florida's um, pick and roll offense. And Florida has only accelerated and went to more pick and roll usage. It's man. It's just something that uh, like, like, again, I think what do you have to lose? I think that there's going to be, some people that are like, well, you got to, you know, play to your strengths and, and hope that you're good enough to win on that that night. But um, I, I think if there's, if we want to say like, what does it take? Like this is the, <laughs> this is the SEC tournament wrap up podcast. If we want to say, what is the takeaway from this podcast? Um, it's just that Florida is too one dimensional. And I think that they can, you know, beat that dead horse again, may, maybe once again or twice again, or however many games we hopefully see um, the rest of the season. Um, or they could, could try something totally new. And you know what? Like, I will say this. I, I know that there might be some people that if Florida threw out something totally different for um, for the NCAA tournament, they might think it's bizarre. And if it doesn't work, they'll, they'll get after the staff. But um, I, I would rather do that and have it go awry than, than have something that Virginia Tech has now seen eight straight games of, of teams dropping pick and roll coverage, goading Florida into more and more pick and rolls and, and having success against it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm absolutely with you. Like when I look back at at some of these games, I think obviously uh, Florida moved the ball much better in the first half at Tennessee and and played pretty well, uh, and then that league crumbled. Uh, but F- Florida has not been able to play 40 minutes since they came back from the third COVID pause. They probably played, and ironically, they may have played their best game in the 37 minutes or so of the Arkansas game, Eric, where they, you know, it took them 10 minutes to get out of the rust, but then there was a lot of ball movement. They were a little bit more diverse offensively in what they ran uh, against uh, Muss and the Hogs. And, and you know, maybe if, if Anthony DeRuji gets a call, uh, you know, who knows how that game uh, turns out with it being a one-possession game and, and kind of a no-call that blows things open. Obviously, Florida loses by 11, but it was a lot closer than that if you watch the game. Uh, and, and that might have really been Florida's best performance in a month. I didn't think about it until you mentioned it, but now that you mentioned about it, I, I, I totally in agreement that that definitely was it. And uh, again, I think that obviously so many teams talk about uh, 
how you want to be playing your best basketball at the end of the season. Well, that's just unfortunately not the case for Florida. So, uh, yeah, just uh, changing it up and, and taking that lesson from the SEC tournament, um, I, I think, could be a wise one. Yep, uh, not always lost. I mean, Florida certainly uh, has shown that, you know, they can turn things around in a pretty big hurry. Obviously, they kind of, when they beat Nevada, they came into the NCAA tournament playing pretty darn well. I mean, they had pushed a, a final, what was ultimately a Final Four team, Eric, to uh, to the wire uh, in the SEC semifinal, and, and but for – Bruce Pearl's paying off the referees, probably get three free throws to, to play for overtime. Uh, who knows if he actually makes them all, but maybe he does. Um, but the year prior to that, uh, the the Elite Eight team that Florida had, so I guess two years prior to that, uh, Florida had not played particularly well. Um, you know, they, they lost to Vanderbilt twice. Uh, they lost to Kentucky. Uh, with a chance to win the SEC championship. Um, I mean, they lost three of their last five headed into the NCAA tournament that year and and obviously uh, made a run to the Elite Eight. So, um, you know, I think I think you can turn it around. We've seen everybody talk. Everybody wants to be Syracuse, right? Uh, <laughs> just like limps into the NCAA tournament, gets absolutely blown out in their first game of their conference tournament and goes to the Final Four. Uh, but – it's hard to do, but Florida did get a seven seed. Uh, they avoided the dreaded eight, nine, Eric. Um, I think the committee rewarded a very difficult schedule. I'll be honest. I kind of think the committee rewarded, like, I think there was some sort of, like there had to be some sort of intangible discussion. Like if Florida was an eight and somebody else was an eight and they said, uh, you know what? We like this LSU team. They're pretty darn good. They're playing great basketball, but uh, they're in the FBI scandal, and we're investigating them. And uh, Florida's best player almost died on the floor. And so we're going to reward Florida, who beat LSU by four points. They get the last seven. Like, I, I'm, interested I, to see, I'm interested to see the S-curve. I, I mean, I, I truly think that that was the case. Like, may, like maybe I don't know about the, the FBI stuff, but, but I truly do think <laughs> that they must have weighed in the Keontae Johnson situation I would say heavily, like, again, I was looking at bracket matrix and they have a composite of the top 25 people from, from the last year. So you can look at their, you know, their 150 bracketologists and say like, where do they have Florida? And I think that bracket matrix had Florida as the lowest eight seed um, going mm -hmm. into it. So, so that tells you something, but if you look at the top 25 people from the people who did the best of, of in last season. So like historically the best bracketologists in, in recent history, the uh, Florida was a nine seed. So there was a whole lot more people that do the bracketology well that had Florida closer to a nine or 10 seed than they did a seven seed. So uh, again, and again, like even looking at some um, at people uh, uh, and then bracket matrix always does like a breakdown of like, you know, how much that they were, how close they were to, uh, to being accurate. And, and one of the teams that, that they were most off on was, was Florida because, um, because yeah, I think bracket matrix had them as the lowest eight seed and, Obviously, they were there were seven. So uh, yeah, I just I, I think the guys that do very well at their at bracketology had Florida as a nine seed. I, I think that I'm not a bracketologist who pours over the numbers, but to the extent <laughs> that I did look over the numbers, I thought Florida was a nine seed. 
Um, and to be quite frank with you, if you would have told me that Florida is playing Virginia Tech, I would have thought it was an 8-9 game where Virginia Tech was the 8th seed and Florida was the ninth seed. I am very surprised to see where Florida is at. But, uh, hey, I think that the bracket uh, breaks pretty well for Florida. I'm obviously getting out of the 8-9 game. Um, hey, if there's a two seed, I think uh, we might have even said on this podcast, if there's a two seed we wanted to face, it'd probably be Ohio State. So, uh, yeah, we, man, said it, we said it off air. We said it, we said it off air. <laughs> off, off, off air, shoot. Well, uh, you know, you guys will have to trust us. But because uh, we, 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 I, I think that was like two weeks ago. That wasn't even like recent. We did. Um, it was. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, while I, you know, I'm not sure I'm bold enough to predict Florida going on some run to the second weekend, uh, man, getting into the seven ten game, seeing Ohio state as the two seed where, you know, Colin Castleton's going to be four inches than it, taller than anyone on the floor. Uh, yeah. It's uh, I, I do think selection Sunday was a very, very positive day for the Gators. Yeah. And I mean, keep in mind that the Buckeyes have lost uh, speaking of limping into the tournament. Ooh. I mean, the Buckeyes, the Buckeyes have lost five of their last eight um, and they have trailed by double digits in nine consecutive games, Eric. So, I mean, look, give Chris Holtman credit, right? Like they figure out how to like get the water off the sinking ship in time to get those games competitive at the end. Um, or like IO does something totally ridiculous, like not attack the basket for the first time in his life and take a step back jump shot that he doesn't need to. And the game goes to overtime in the big 10 final Ohio state lost anyway, I guess, but, (laughs) um, but like give them credit, but at the same time, like they're not the steadiest two seed. No, not at all. Like, like I haven't done, I haven't done my bracket yet. I always do it like the last possible day. So usually Wednesday, this will be a, this will be a Thursday. Um, But man, uh, whoever I have winning this game between Florida and Virginia tech, I think I have them beating Ohio State. That'll be my, that'll be my one teaser for for today's podcast. I like it. I like it. And hey, you know, never count out Max Admos either. <laughs> I mean, you know, like dude from Moral Roberts, he can score, man. And they got like I think they have two NBA players on that team. I, I'm not even joking. That's so. You think you think you think Max is an NBA player? Yeah, Sam Bassini talked about it on his podcast. I think he's the best. Yeah. He's he sold me, so it's not a it's not an original thought. Okay. I was no, sold, no, I, I like was it. sold by by Sam Bassini. So yeah, uh, you know, t- two guys that may, maybe it's a cup of coffee, but uh, yeah, that's a that is that Dream is definitely Thompson. a game. That's definitely a game. That's a game that's worth considering if you're going to go for a 15-2 upset. I think it's if you look at hey, if you want to be bold in your bracket, and again, this is maybe next podcast talk, but we're into it deep in this one. Um, Hey, you take the weakest two seed and by far the strongest 15 seed who I thought was going to be a stronger. I, I thought they were going to be seated better than that. Um, yeah. Uh, that, there's some potential for, for some creating there. I'll leave you with all, I'll leave you all with this. Cause we need to stop teasing the next show, but <laughs> if, if you, if you had to pick between a 15 and a 14, in my opinion, if you want some free bracket advice and, and by the way, I'm actually one of the rare analysts. I'm going to pat myself on the back here and say I'm one of the rare analysts that usually does pretty well in my bracket contest. Uh, I don't know what it is. I bet Eric does well too because he like looks at analytics, and I really do think they help you pick things. Um, but uh, a lot of people are like, oh, this Colgate team, and they're so in love with Colgate. Like Arkansas is going to flatten them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like I- stay away from 
stay away from that. And I like I like Oral Roberts so much more than I like Colgate. If somebody that's a fourteen or a fifteen wins, I, I actually think Colgate got done dirty a little bit. Uh, not well, not really. I mean, they got an appropriate seed. Um, they definitely could have had an argument to be seeded higher. But again, I think that you see you see upsets when uh, the two teams play a very different style, and uh-huh. the mid major team just does their style better than the high major team does that style. And Colgate just plays very very fast and gets up and down, and that is exactly what Arkansas wants to do. Like Colgate just plays a whole lot like Arkansas. So if they play a very similar style between two teams, I'm probably going to lean towards the uh, the SEC, the team you know near the top of the SEC versus the uh, versus the team like Colgate. So I would have liked Colgate in some other matchups, but not Arkansas. I think yeah, you just you match up two similar styles. Um, you kind of just got to go with Arkansas to, to flatten them. I, I I'm with I'm with you there, Neil. Yeah, I mean, like I felt bad. I'm with Eric. I felt bad for Colgate, like because I felt like if they they were a team that was hurt by COVID, right? Because if they had been able to get out of the Patriot League and play some people, maybe they get like a 12. Uh, maybe they get the seed that Winthrop got, right? And like mm. Colgate, Colgate Villanova without with like wounded Justin Moore and no Con Gillespie, like man, I, I would have actually liked Colgate the, the, the Raiders in that game, I think. But but against this Arkansas team, I, you know, I don't I don't see it, and I also don't see Iona. Uh, but it will be fun to see Rick Pitino on the sidelines of the NCAA tournament with the Iona Gales uh, playing the <laughs> playing the role of spoiler to NATO. It's in Alabama. <laughs> They're going to get killed. Um, so, yeah, uh, anyway, we will be back with more March Madness talk uh, and a preview Florida's game against Virginia Tech on our next show. Thanks, everybody.